Hello, I'm Leroy Garcia, and this is Blue Rain Gallery Podcast. Today we are in the interviewing mode of finding out what this guy's all about. This is Dan Friday. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Leroy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dan Friday uh, comes from a place that I'm kind of familiar with. Um, in 1997-98, I had the opportunity of serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Seattle area. Turned out the last six months of my mission, I had the opportunity to live on Friday Harbor and uh, Mount Vernon area. Cedra Woolley. Yeah. Uh, sound familiar, Dan? Yeah, that's, Those areas? The, that's the hood right there. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, beautiful area. I mean, oh my gosh, the, the marine forms uh, that are out there in the sea and the beautiful islands. And man, tell us about where you're from exactly. You're from around that area. And tell, tell us what tribe you're from. Too. Yeah. Uh, the Salish Sea kind of moreover is uh, the Puget Sound into the Fraser River Valley up between Vancouver and in the Straits. Uh, Friday Harbor is named after Puale Joe Friday, which is a Hawaiian man. And uh, that's the stomping ground. That's where the Lahaktamish people or the Lummi people, uh, I'm a member of the Lummi tribe, that's where they're from are those islands. And uh, they're what's called Strait Salish or Coast Salish. Yeah. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. And uh, yeah, I feel really fortunate to be from there. So, Dan, uh, were you raised in a traditional way, in the Lumi ways, or uh, were you just raised in the city and then came back to it? Yeah, I'm a little of both. You know, uh, when I would get in trouble in the city, I would go stay with my uncle mm -hmm. <laughs> growing up. But I was I was born in Seattle, and uh, um, I live in north north of Seattle and Shoreline now. But like I said, I've, I've got land at the Lummi Reservation in uh, just south of the Canadian border. And uh, that's where the majority of my family lives. And uh, so, what are what are some of the traditions uh, that you can remember doing uh, with your tribe? Well, that have influenced you. Um, well, you know, the longhouse is is a it's a really st strong tradition. And then there's uh, the Shaker Church, and we weren't really involved in the Shaker Church too much. But I do remember, uh, like when my father passed away, they have this uh, ceremony where they burn all your possessions so that you. People don't fight over uh, your stuff, <laughs> your and they kind, of, they kind of send it with you, yeah. And uh, one of the, you know, it, so there's about six photographs of my dad ever that really kind of made it from the, the purge there. And, um, you know, it's it's been, uh, I mean, really, it's been a lifelong uh, a goal of mine and, and objective of mine to, to learn as much about the ways as I can, you know, and. Uh, I'm having a naming this summer. I'm going to get the name of my uh, great, great, gra my great grandfather, Joseph Hilaire or Quoquata. And uh, is that a ceremony? Yeah, that's a big ceremony. So that's kind of what I'm working on. You got to, and then potlatch tradition, you've got to save up, and I've got to do a lot of gifting and, and get ready for that ceremony. So, oh, right on. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> I had uh, Leah put on the the desk today a couple pieces but um the reason i'm asking these is that uh this piece in particular is very traditional for your tribe yeah can you can you tell us a little bit about this piece and not only just about it but how you made it to uh, as yeah. far as the, the weaving well this is an anchor for the reef net and reef netting is uh it was originated in in the straight salish with the Lummi people you know the the history of swatan or the first man and the gifts from the salmon people uh, some of the first things are the the reef net stories, and uh, 
you know, that's how the tribes were able to sustain themselves really well. I mean, it was really a wealth to be able to feed themselves that way. And uh, there's a famous photograph of my great-great-grandfather, Heitalok Osium, or uh, Frank Hilaire, kind of teaching the settlers how to reef net fish. And that's what spawned the commercial reef netting industry in about 1890 and kind of made it consequently illegal for natives to reef net fish. Um, so in 2013, the, the United States government allowed the tribe to, to fish as formerly to, uh, to fish at Cherry Point in the reef net style. And so that's, it's a big resurgence, not, you know, just in the Lummi tribe, but in like Saanich and, and Strait Salish to kind of get these fishing rights restored. Uh, this is a, an anchor and this is blown glass, but it's kind of mixed with, uh, a traditional cedar bark rope. And, uh, I mean, I, again, this in my personal journey into just exploring how these people live, that's, it's really, uh, it's humbling to, to think that they must've just, if you need 2000 feet of rope, it takes me hours to make just a, a bit of rope. And what's that about three feet? Yeah. Three, three, four feet. And it's like, you know, literally it takes a day harvesting cedar and, uh, so I really like the marriage or the kind of uh, how they play off each other, the the really contemporary glass and the traditional materials. So the the original uh, type of anchor, was that a uh, rock? Yeah, stone? stone chipped out, you know, and they just had such a great uh, understanding of, of the, you know, the clock of nature and when it was time to salmon fish or when it was time to sockeye, you know, get out for sockeye or now it's, it's humpies right now or uh, so... You know, this how people I really admire uh, the way that they lived and it must have been all they were doing, you know, just to sustain, you know, the whole family worked. There's no such thing as child labor laws. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so sure. they, they had to learn how to boat. Yeah. They had to learn how to use the nets. Yeah. Um, so if you were a deep sea diver and you were down there, would, yeah. would you find a lot of these stones that, all over the place? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because that is. Now that they have do archaeology under the water, they they found thousands and thousands of these anchor piles, where uh, you know the tribe knew for sure that 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 was their historic uh, fishing grounds, and and the fishing grounds were so important because they were, uh, you know, they were passed down from family to family, so they knew exactly where they were. But now that they're trying to like kind of justify or, or you know as they're trying to expand their fishing rights in these areas it's like no actually look they're i mean it's right under the water all you got to do is go and see and, and you can see where these historic places were uh another thing that's really interesting about the shwala and the shwala is the name for the reef net this is a reef net anchor uh but in the net itself there's a, a big hoop at the very end of it and so when the salmon would come between the two canoes uh before they would draw the net in the chief of the salmon people or the tip of the spear they would always allow those to escape. And it was just kind of a built-in mechanism of conservation. And these mm -hmm. people just had such a high reverence for uh, the salmon and you know how they were sustained their life. They, it seems like they were acknowledging their ecosystem. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. I had, a, I had a friend who uh, flew us to his ranch in, in uh, Colorado and uh, he has about 15 miles of stream, and he redid the stream to be eco-friendly to the oh, fish. Oh, nice, yeah. And uh, the fish are huge because of that. Yeah. But, no. So, yeah, conservation uh, uh, thought. Um, let's talk a little bit and turn a little bit. Uh, well, let's continue to talk about tribe, but we're going to get into glass itself. Um, so most of these forums that you're doing, of course, your people uh, probably produce totems as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so that serves for inspiration. So if you look behind Dan over here, you can see some of the totems that he's created in, 
in glass and then also he does bears and uh baskets that uh now explain to me the baskets yeah uh like your aunt fran right aunt fran yeah that she was she was huge or uh cheetah b is her name and she her her son was a hereditary hereditary chief of the tribe and uh she was just a huge cultural purveyor uh and you know when the indian school when they're going to boarding schools and the languages were literally being, you know, beat out of them. And they're kind of losing their, uh, you know, they were really kind of getting institutionalized. It was the weavers and the the grandmothers that really kind of kept the language alive. And so uh, Fran James, uh, Vi Hilbert, another auntie, uh, they and her, like I said, her son, Bill James or Salit, um, are just big teachers of the language and there's definitely a resurgence now they're teaching the language in the school and it's it's definitely because of their work um but moreover the baskets uh it was after i've been blowing glass about 12 years and working for chihuly and i felt like i kind of arrived in the seattle glass scene i still didn't really uh have my own body of work and uh aunt fran was like well what are you doing you can't be making other people's work you got to figure out what, you, what it find is your you're own doing. voice right? find your own voice and uh so that was, she was really uh, instrumental in that for me. And uh, what were these baskets made out of? Uh, cedar bark, spruce root, uh, cedar root, you know, all, all bear grass, all sorts of different materials. So are there, uh, are there uh, examples of these in the museums around there? Oh, yeah. And what she's really known for, too, are her mountain goat wool uh, blankets. They have oh. them in the Smithsonian. And, oh, wow. That's great. And she just did a little bit of everything. And when I would go to her house, it's like she... She would just go from one project and go sit over here and start doing something else. And, uh, you know, she didn't have a fancy art degree from someplace. She, uh, and like I said, that permission, especially in the fine art world, that I was kind of under the illusion that like, well, when am I going to go to school? And then I can be anointed or bona fide as an artist. And she's like, no, we just make things with our hands. It's what we do. You don't really, you know, you need to get to it is what she really yeah. said. Well, you've had some good... Uh heritage there to being surrounded by yep. you know, influence and that helped find your voice okay so let's talk about truly uh when did you get into glass uh i started in about 97 so i was 20 years old i was a mechanic i owned a tow truck um i walked into a glass factory uh ironically where preston started just sort of uh you know by proxy of being in seattle and uh i mean it was a huge course change for me i knew right away i'm like I want to do this. I want to be creative. I'd gone to art school, but it just didn't really seem pragmatic to get a, a job in the arts. And when I saw that there was a avenue for that or a pathway uh, through the Pilchuck Glass School and guys like Preston and Dante that you know had started where I started and really carved that that path, um, it was big. And in about two thousand, I started working for Dale Chihuly, and uh, that was that was just huge. There's so many things I've learned from him, and and that. And his and, methods and those crews yeah huge crews and and that's what people don't understand a lot of times about glass it's, it's really a team that you're working with and you never know who you're going to learn something from and um, there's a lot of un, unknown faces behind the scenes and, and, and like being in a band or something. yeah yeah um tell me the difference between your style of glass work and say del Chihuly's style um, you know, I do more of a figurative uh, sort of thing, especially with the totems and bears. I do some sculpting. I mean, Dale's done a little bit of everything, uh, but, you know, he's hired some of the, the world's finest maestros uh, from, you know, Italy and 
and he's worked with huge crews. A lot of people have come and gone through there, you know, Pino Signoretto, Lino Tagliapietra, uh, just the forefathers of the studio glass industry have worked for Dale. Um, and he largely is, is, is part of that. But I, what I would say is different about my work is mostly I do solid sculpting and I kind of work on relative themes to Coast Salish history. And there's a little bit of a story there that I, you know, I've really enjoyed that exploring, uh, you know, I've been able to study in like the Field Museum in Chicago, the Burke Museum, and just really studying these artifacts, either of my personal family or the tribe at large. So, so a lot of a lot of Dan's work is is blown, it's not blown. It's it's dipped in on a pipe, but it's sculpted. So they're very thick and heavy. <laughs> yeah. And people don't realize the glass is full of lead. You know, yeah, it gives it the, the weight. Uh, but because of that, it really exudes light, it, or it, it it absorbs light and retracts it out, yeah. and it's 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 beautiful. But it is a lot different than say a bubble. This is a bubble, yeah, right. But the bears and the totems, they're, it's all furnace. Yeah, and they and they ref, like you said, they just refract light so beautifully. And I, I always tell people if you've got a window, I mean, you can't beat the sun. Like it's great if you have great lighting in your house, but it's it's hard to beat the. The sun, they really, uh, glass, I've heard it said that glass just eats light and it really. How was your, uh, how were you uh, first received in Santa Fe, your first show, do you remember? Yeah, dude, it, it's been a, it's been a good run. I was trying to remember how long, I think it's been 2015, maybe Something six years, there, yeah. yeah, that we, I came down and, you know, I've really fallen in love with this area. You've got a great uh, family and a great crew here. Um, I really, uh, even though sometimes it's just a week a year that I come down from market, I've really you know, I feel at home here and you guys have done a huge, uh, huge service to the glass and native community to educate people. And again, I'm kind of following the, the pathways that you and Preston have, have carved and, uh, having these, uh, educational demonstrations is, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I'm super grateful. It's huge, huh? Um, I remember, uh, Dan's first show at Blue Rain Gallery. Uh, was that your first show ever in a gallery? Yeah, that was one, you know, <laughs> it's it was basically a, a sellout, man. It yeah, was amazing. Huh? Yeah, it was good. And I, yeah, that was, thank you. Yeah. For holding the door open for me. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, you're welcome, man. We're, we're honored to have you in our gallery too, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently you've been working your butt off. Yeah. And for an exhibit somewhere, tell us about what, what's going on, where it is, what's, what's happening. Yeah, I've got, uh, I just finished a show that's up till October at the Museum of Northwest Art, kind of right in the heart of uh, Salish Sea Country um, in La Conner. And, uh, you know, what's different about having a show like that is, is working on these really large installations. Like I, I said, I wove a really large swallow or reef net and... Uh, worked on some new blanket pieces and and was able to include some weavers in the show too to just try to highlight some other artists and you know it's again holding that door open for each other and it's uh, I learned a lot I did some neon and oh nice trying a, bu- <laughs> trying a bunch of new things and uh so I I feel like I've, I've had a good year just exploring we're working on a book for that and uh yeah it's it's been a it's been a whirlwind and then to come down here and have a great market too mm-hmm. it's it's been a, it's been an awesome year yeah well we're we're happy for you and uh continued success dan thank you for showing up today for blue yeah. rain gallery podcast oh, thanks for all you've done <laughs> appreciate you're welcome that. yeah like to encourage everybody to subscribe to our podcast on spotify or itunes or you can simply uh, watch it on youtube or our website under podcasts uh, i also want to encourage everybody to go to blue rain print shop 
dot com where you can experience art in your everyday life. Thanks, Dan. Awesome. Thanks, Leroy. <laughs> Hey, I'm not alone. Hey, I'm not alone. Hey, I'm not alone.